0: This presentation is from Design Research 2017, held in Sydney. For more presentations from this and other conferences, please visit uxaustralia.com.au. Call. Please join me in welcoming Dahlia to the stage. Thank you. Hello. Okay, you can hear me, I hope. Uh, my name is Dahlia. I work at Shopify, which is a company uh, primarily based out of Canada. I've been asked today quite a few times whether I came here specifically for this conference, and I did, and I'm really happy to be here. And uh, yeah, it took me 24 hours to get here, and my my luggage took another 36 hours to get here after I got here, so I'm really glad to have a clean change of clothes for this presentation. Um, So I'm going to see how much I can cram about mixed methods research in the next 20 minutes. The good news is I talk really fast, but I also apologize for that ahead of time. So... Uh, Shopify, for those who are not familiar, is a company that offers a a software-as-a-service platform that allows people who want to sell products online or in person or in a variety of different channels to do so really easily while being able to manage their orders and their businesses. Our merchants can be really varied. You'll find people who are using our point-of-sale system to run coffee shops. They'll be using it to sell vintage sunglasses, artisanal leather goods, or even animal onesies important from Japan. And those are some of the more standard ones. But basically, if you can think of it, there's a pretty good likelihood that somebody on Shopify is already selling it. So because our merchants are so diverse, it's often an ongoing challenge for us to continue encouraging people to have empathy towards such a varied use, use base. So one of the things that we often do is that we send people on something we call merchant store visits. And what that means is that We take non-researchers, so designers, developers, product managers, um, data analysts, and we get them to go out and spend an entire day helping out a merchant in their store or in their warehouse, lending a hand, and trying to really immerse themselves in what this experience of running a business is like. One of the things I started noticing, though, as we kept sending more and more people out to do these merchant store visits is that a lot of times they would go out and they would learn something really interesting or observe something they'd never seen before. They would rush back to the office, get the team all excited and say, hey, we gotta change this thing based on this one thing I learned today. Um, And even though I really can't, I don't wanna discourage that because it's really great to have people who are so enthusiastic about going out and working with target users and kind of bringing back those insights. One of the things that was really missing there is that people weren't stopping to ask themselves whether the things that they had been noticing or the changes that they wanted to make whether they were based only on one person's story or essentially an anecdote, or whether they were part of something bigger that was actually a full research insight. So as I started trying to figure out how I can resolve this problem, I created this handy little decision flowchart to give out to people so that they can figure out what to do when they saw something interesting. Um, And I won't bore you with the details of this, but as I worked through it, it kind of started to highlight to me really the importance of using both Quantitative and qualitative data in order to determine whether what you learn was just an anecdote or a story or whether it was actually part of something bigger. Now, this idea of using quantitative and qualitative research together isn't really something new. Uh, if you follow Trisha Wang, who's a pretty noted ethnographer working in tech today, you'll notice she often talks about this idea of big data and thick data. Big data is something we're all familiar with, and it's this idea of looking at scale, looking at a lot of data points in order to form insights. Thick data is this idea of getting insights from fewer people but that have a lot more depth and this is essentially the basis of qualitative research and the idea is that if you combine big data and thick data you can have a much more accurate picture of the experiences that your users are having with the products that you're creating. So when you combine statistical trends with stories and personal experiences, the collective strength of both provide a better understanding of the research problem than either forms of data alone. And this is really what's at the core of mixed methods research. The definition I have here is by John Creswell, who's a really noted academic in the field of mixed methods research. And what he says is that an approach, it's an approach to research in the social, behavioral, and health sciences in which the investigator gathers both quantitative, close-ended, and qualitative, open-ended data integrates the two and then draws interpretation based on the combined strength of both sets of data to understand research problems. So it's a bit of a mouthful. Uh, The things that I really want to highlight here is this idea of having quantitative data, qualitative data, integrating the two in a way that combines the strength of both sets of data. So let's break apart this definition right here and look at each of those components separately. First, let's talk about qualitative research. I know there's often this misconception that all user researchers do is do usability testing day in, day out, and even though usability testing is really important, it's actually only a small part of what constitutes user research. At Shopify alone, we use a variety of different techniques to do qualitative research. For example, we'll be doing paper prototyping earlier on in a product lifecycle in order to kind of get an idea of how the user flow is going, to get an idea of the terminology that we're using. But even when we're doing paper prototyping, we tend to try and think a little bit outside the box. So you'll find people using 3D printed phones, for example, that allow us to simulate what gestures um, on a smartphone might be like with a particular prototype that we're thinking about in order to really understand that in the early phases. We conduct a journal or diary studies, and I know a few people have talked about that already today, and the idea is to capture uh, the user's experience in a more longitudinal manner, so over a longer period of time than usability testing can afford you. We do a lot of contextual inquiries where we go out, and again, similar to the store visits, but a little bit better structured. We'll spend entire days with different merchants, observing what it's like for them to run their business and kind of shadowing them. We also hold a lot of participatory or core design workshop where we bring together some of our merchants with members of our team. So again, designers, developers, product managers, we get them to sit around together and kind of explore the problems and maybe collaborate on uh, creating some solutions for some of the things that they're experiencing. And this is another thing that came up as well today. When we're doing these workshops with them, we're even coming up with different games that they can play so we can get them to explore different scenarios, different roles and really explore the problem from multiple different facets. Now let's talk about quantitative research. Uh, One of the techniques that I know a lot of people hate are surveys. Uh, We don't send them out very often, but I promise that when we do, they're really well designed. Um, Our surveys are usually answered. I think our biggest one is our annual survey. We send that once a year, and it's answered by tens of thousands of people. And the analysis on this, because it involves both closed questions and open questions. Uh, The analysis involves people both who are data analysts and researchers to look at it. And uh, we find that putting these uh, open questions really gives people room to vent at the end of the year about all the problems that they're having, which is really great. Uh, And it really straddles the line between qualitative and quantitative really well. So I wanted to start out with this example. Uh, our data analysts are constantly logging user behavior and interactions and storing that in our data warehouse which we can easily, later on, access <laughs> using <laughs> SQL queries. Um, I don't know if anyone here has ever tried writing SQL queries. It sucks. So they're really nice too because they make us these really nice dashboards where they take the data, they model it, and we can use it to kind of get a snapshot of how product is doing at any given point in time. Like a lot of companies, we also use Google Analytics to, again, understand a little bit better user behavior, user interaction on some of our web-based products. And we do a lot of A-B testing in order to figure out how we can optimize different aspects of our product once they're out in the wild and constantly try to tweak them. So, with so many different research methods available, how do you know, how do we choose the right technique? And I think we touched about that a little bit earlier today. I really believe that this is one of the fundamental problems of doing research, whether it be qualitative or quantitative, is how do you know you have the right technique? So the way I like to look at it, this is a bit abstracted, is that at any given point, you're in a phase of building a particular product, and based on that phase, you're going to have certain types of questions that you need to answer before you get to the next one. Those questions are going to inform what kind of method you need to use, and hopefully when you use this method, you carry out some research. Hope you have findings at some point. Your findings might bring about additional questions, and then you go back and you define again, based on those news questions, what is the best method to use. So this is a little bit abstract, but I'll show you how we use that in practice. At Shopify, uh, our product life cycles are called getting shit done. Every time I go out to a conference and I have to talk about this, I get a little bit embarrassed, Uh, but... (laughs) We had a kind of a startup culture for a really long time. People didn't like the process word, the P words. We gave it kind of a subversive name so we can trick them into getting shit done. But really, it's a process. It's a pretty standard process when you look at it. Um, But we start off with this idea phase. So this is basically you have an idea of something that you want to build or you want to work on. What you do next is the think phase. So this is where you start exploring the problem space that you're working in and kind of start becoming subject matter experts in the domain that you're looking at. You then enter the explore phase and that's where you start exploring different ways of solving the problem that you have and kind of iterating on that in a scrappy way. Hopefully at some point you hone in on a solution that you think is going to work and you start to build it. And after you build it, hopefully you get to a point where you can launch your product. And when you launch it, you enter afterwards what's called the tweak phase. And this is where you try to figure out what else you can do in order to improve your product. So each of those phases has different questions associated with it and different methods that are best suited for answering them. So in the idea phase, some of the things that you might be concerned about are what are potential problems that we might solve. So you've got this huge, um, pro- this huge problem space that you're trying to explore. You're asking yourself, how can we gather more context on this problem? Some of the methods that come in handy here in terms of qualitative research is, well, you start out hopefully by looking at existing research. There's no need to reinvent the wheel. So you start by looking at maybe internally, someone has done some work on that. Maybe externally, there's additional research that exists out there, so you start to examine that. And at the same time, you might want to supplement it with additional observations, interviews, diary studies, in order to kind of understand at this, moment, at this point in time, what are some of the problems that your target users might be experiencing, as well as internal workshops with your team where you do kickoffs and try to explore the problem together. In terms of quantitative data, Again, you start by looking at existing data. So what do we know already? And based on this existing data, this is where you start establishing what are facts and what are assumptions. So what are the things that we know for sure at this point in terms of what the data is telling us? And what are the things that we think we know, but we're not sure, and we're gonna peg those as assumptions and see if we can go about confirming or disproving those by doing additional research. When you enter the think phase, you start asking yourself again in this big problem space that you're exploring, what are the root problems and what are the biggest challenges that you're going to want to focus on because you can't solve everything. So in terms of qualitative methods that you want to use at that point, you can do things like profile segments and personas to try and understand a little bit better who your target users are. And again, you might want to supplement those with interviews or start doing uh, co-design and participatory workshops with those target users with those particular segments in order to, again, understand the problem a little bit from their perspective and explore it with your team. In terms of quantitative data, you might want to start by quantifying uh, how big those segments are. So you've defined your segments, your profile, your personas, but what is the actual makeup of the people uh, who use your product? How can you quantify that in order to understand a little bit more who your product is going to impact? When you enter the explore phase, your questions at that point are how you might be scrappy and effective when you're testing your assumption and hypothesis. So this is the stage where you're trying to iterate on multiple different solutions in order to eventually hone in on one that you think is going to be the right one. So you want to be scrappy about the way you're testing those. Qualitative research that comes in handy at that point are things like low-fidelity prototyping. So for example, pre- prototyping like we talked about or even clickable mockups. will create things in Envision that will allow us to test again. Uh, user flows, maybe see if we're using the right terminology. In terms of quantitative uh, research that you'll want to do is you want to define the success metrics for your project. And what I mean by that is basically what are the things that you are going to measure once you launch your product to see whether it's actually meeting people's expectations or not. And at that point, you also actually want to start measuring baseline for those success metrics to see what things are like today. So if you measured those success metrics today, what do they look like? And it's important to do that so that when you actually launch your product, you can go back and see, did we move the needle either way? When you enter the build phase, well, you want to know if people can actually use the thing that you're building. And you want to know if what you're building is addressing some of the initial problems that you identified in the idea and the think phase. And this is where usability testing comes in. It just comes in at this one stage right there. It's probably where it's most handy. Uh, we might also want to do diary study in order to, again, capture more of a longitudinal experience with the product to see what it's like for people using it over a longer period of time than usability testing generally affords you. Uh, and we start doing some beta testing. So we select groups of people to whom you release the product. And again, we try to capture their feedback at that point. In terms of quantitative, you can start doing A-B testing again, particularly with your beta testing groups. So you might want to release one version of the product to some of your beta tester, another version to uh, other beta testers and see what happens. Instrumentation, and what I mean by that, is laying the groundwork or the foundation in your product for how you're actually going to capture data eventually uh, once you release it. And you start putting in place reports so that you can start populating them once you release your product so that people are easy, able to easily uh, consume those. When you enter the launch phase, uh, you start to ask yourself whether people are using your product in the way you thought they would, and whether you actually successfully solved the problem you identified. At that stage, a lot of what we'll do is looking at forums and social media, which can be a really great source of feedback to see what people are actually saying. Um, And a lot of times when we launch new products, we leave what we call open form feedback forms. You'll find a little link that says, tell us what you think, and people can click on it. There's an open-ended box where they can tell us if they love it, if they hate it, or whatever they feel. And in terms of quantitative metrics, this is where you start monitoring the success metrics that you set out in the explore phase and more reporting because data analysts just love reportings. In the tweak phase, uh, this is where you start asking yourself, what else can we improve? What are the incremental changes that are worthwhile? There's probably a million things that you might want to at that point tweak about your products. You got to start prioritizing those a little bit. And if you're hoping to launch a V2 of this product well, you start asking yourself, what are the revisions that you need to do to your roadmap? At that point, in terms of qualitative methods, you might want to do retrospectives and postmortems with your team in order to understand, well, based on the user feedback that we received, what worked well, what didn't work well, what would we change moving forward, as well as looking at support tickets, which I think is one of the most underused forms of user research, actually seeing the problems that people are having and kind of working with our support department to understand what is happening out in the wild. In terms of quantitative testing, this is again where A-B testing uh, really shines because you're essentially in that phase where you can kind of tweak aspects of your products and measure those and see how you can optimize it. And more reporting because everyone loves reports. And again, you're trying to get that data in a stage where people can easily consume it. So this is a table summarizing all of that for people who want to take a picture of it. But one of the things that I really want to highlight here is that I'm under no delusions that anybody is an expert at both quantitative and qualitative research. Uh, I actually trained as a mathematician, I used to do both quantitative and qualitative and there's a reason why today I focus on qualitative research. Uh, but the no, reason no. why it's important to understand this is because at any given point when you're doing mixed method research you're going to want to have conversations with people who are working in quantitative or qualitative data and so in order to have those conversations it's important to understand what your options are and when is the right time to use each of these techniques and that's what I want to highlight here. So. We talked about quantitative, we talked about qualitative, but that does not make it mixed methods yet. If we go back to the definition by Creswell, I highlight a really important thing there is that mixed methods research is not just about gathering quantitative and qualitative data, it's actually about integrating the two in a way that combines the strength of both data sets. And in order to be able to do that, well, we first have to talk about what are the combined strengths of both data sets. So let's talk about qualitative research. The strength there is that you can have detailed perspectives from people. It captures the voices of the participant and can capture really complex phenomena. It's based on the views of the participants and not the researcher, because we often start off so open-ended with qualitative research that there's room, hopefully, to learn things that you didn't know before. And it appeals to people's enjoyment of stories. This is, again, something we've heard a lot about today, but sometimes delivering an insight as a story can be really, really powerful and it adapts the context. If you learn something during your research, you can adapt the questions that you're asking to learn more about this thing because you started out so open-ended and it's still valid to integrate all of that into your research findings, which is something you can't do in quantitative research. You can't change your question halfway through. Some of the weaknesses of qualitative research is that it has limited generalizability. So just because you found something out by talking to a handful of people, you can't outright say that this is applicable to everybody. You can only study a few people at a time because it's super time intensive. It is subject to the researcher's bias, particularly when it comes to analysis because you look through your data and you decide for yourself what you think is important and you ignore what you think is not important. And it's really time-intensive when it comes to collection, data collection and analysis. I'm sure many of you here have done interviews, recruiting alone, doing the interviews, transcribing interviews. If you don't have the luxury of being able to use a transcription service, it is probably the bane of my existence. (laughs) Um, In terms of quantitative research, the strengths... Are that you're able to draw conclusions for large numbers of people which you can't do with qualitative research it's relatively efficient when it comes to data collection and analysis particularly when compared to qualitative research again you can investigate relationships within the data more easily and for those people who really love their numbers you can appeal to their love of numbers by showing them numbers everywhere and people love that Uh, In terms of weaknesses, it's impersonal. It's all numbers. You're not really capturing anything about the voices of the participants. You're not recording their words. Because of that, it provides limited understanding of the context of those participants, and it's largely researcher-driven. So what I mean by that is in the vast majority of quantitative research that we do, you set out by saying what you think the hypothesis is, and then you go out and you gather data that'll help you prove or disprove that hypothesis, but what if you had the wrong hypothesis to begin with, right? It's entirely dependent on what the researcher defines. So with that in mind, there are three different ways of mixing quantitative and qualitative research. The first one is called convergent design. The second one is explanatory sequential design. And the third one is exploratory sequential design. And I'm sure nobody will remember that. But when I explain it, I hope you remember just the nuts and bolts of how it works. Convergent design. So this is where you start out by saying, all right, I'm going to go out and I'm going to gather some quantitative data. I'm going to study large numbers of people, gather data about their behaviors, their interactions, and see what I can find. But at the same time, I'm also going to be doing qualitative research. I'm going to go out and talk to people. I'm going to capture detailed perspectives and complex phenomenon and eventually I'm going to combine all of this into my findings and those are going to form my insights. The thing that's really important to highlight here is the intentionality of doing both the quantitative and the qualitative research from the very beginning and designing your research based on that. This isn't a matter of you were doing some qualitative research and then you ran into someone down the hall who was doing some quantitative research and you're like, oh, maybe we should like compare results and see what happens. It's not really what it's about. This idea here is that you're being intentional about doing both both from the very beginning so that you can eventually see whether your results match up or whether they contradict each other and be able to discuss that. The second method or the second model is called explanatory sequential design. And this is where you start off by saying, "Okay, I'm going to start off this time with quantitative data. I'm going to try and discover patterns for large numbers of people. I'm going to see what they're doing, maybe how they're doing it. But the problem with that is that it's lacking context. It doesn't really tell you why people are behaving in this particular way, and this is where qualitative research comes in handy. So after you've discovered those patterns for larger groups of people, you dig in deeper by trying to understand and enrich them with details and context to get the full perspective, and based on all of that, you create your research report and put your findings together. The third one, exploratory sequential design, is where you flip the orders, so you start off by saying, well, I'm going to go out and talk to a few people, I'm going to capture their stories and kind of understand really the depth of what's going on there. But the problem here, again, is that you can't generalize that to a larger group of people. So this is where quantitative data comes in handy. So after you've captured the story of a few people, you might generate a few hypotheses, gather quantitative data based on that, and be able to take that and draw conclusions for larger samples of people than your qualitative research alone would have been able to, and report all of that as your findings. Here's an example of all this put together. Uh, from a project I'm actually working on today. So we started out by saying, okay, we want to build this new product into Shopify. Is there even interest in this particular product? So let's run experiments, let's gather some quantitative data to see whether people click on this button that indicates to us that they have interest in this product. At the same time, let's talk to some people, let's try to understand what their user journey right now looks like, let's try to identify the problems that they're having, and based on that, see if we can infer whether there's even a need for us to build this product. And this is an example of convergent design. What we did next is we said, okay, maybe there is interest in this product. Let's see who might be interested. Can we segment those people? Can we, see, can we gather data to understand a little bit better who they are? But that data will be insufficient because it's just going to give us the surface of this big sample to tell us, yes, there's interest, this is what we know about them. But we need to dig in deeper with qualitative research in order to fully understand who those users are and understand what their stories and their needs are. And that's an example of explanatory sequential design. And in the third phase, we said, well, okay, now that we've narrowed down that user X is the user who might be impacted by this new product, what could be a value for them? What kind of features do we need to build into this product? So we did that with qualitative research in order to understand how we can help them solve their problem. But again, we needed to know whether we could generalize those, generalize those results to a larger population. And so after deciding, for example, feature Y is going to be helpful, let's run some experiments to see whether we can validate that hypothesis or not and see whether feature Y actually is helpful. And that's an example of exploratory sequential design. So again, the takeaway is the idea here that you're trying to leverage the strength of each of those methods. So when it comes to qualitative research, it's about voices, it's about stories, it's about complex phenomena and detail. When it comes to quantitative research, you have the advantages of objectivity, efficiency, being able to look at statistical trends, explore relationships between the data. And the idea is that by using both together, you can go from having an anecdote or just one person's story to a fully formed insight that you can then use and share with your team. Thank you. Just one last thing. Uh, Probably my director will kill me if I didn't say this, uh, but we're hiring researchers, designers, if anyone is interested. We're located in Canada, so it's totally a Trump-free zone. If anyone is interested, uh, just shoot me an email uh, or check out our careers page. Thank you. Thanks very much. We hope you enjoyed this presentation from Design Research 2017. For more presentations from this and other conferences, please visit uxaustralia.com.au.